Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. If you've ever been in the situation, you could be one day, maybe you know somebody that has been in a situation where something has been done and they've been done wrong. Could be an accident, could be something happening in a medical situation, whatever it may be, personal injury is what we're going to talk about today. But specifically, how do you decide whether when, you, when you've determined that we have a, a situation and that there could be some uh, financial restitution coming your way, how do you decide on a trial or whether to settle a case? We're going to talk with somebody that has generated multi-million dollar cases and judgments for people, and uh, he is our diamond of the decade on the legal side, and he's back with us. Paul Beckman joins us on the program. Paul, welcome back. How are you? Good to see you, Steve. I'm sure this is something that you've been presented with many times for clients, whether you should go to trial or whether you should just settle that case. There's a lot to go. There's a lot to talk about here, but face value, how do you make that? If it was a, if you were to make a rash decision of the two, and I don't suggest that, but for simplicity, how would you make that decision trial or settle? Well, first of all, it is, the individual who is injured's case, right? or God forbid there is a death, it's the family's decision. It's the legal representative. It's the beneficiaries. And it's one of my prime responsibilities to give the family, give the injured person or persons uh, the opportunity to talk about what would be better for you to do when we get to the point where you really have to decide whether the case which is set for trial and is going to be coming up for trial should be settled or whether or not you should actually go to trial and take the chance. Every case can be won and every case can be lost uh, as to what to do. And I find that to be uh, a very, very important responsibility that I have as a lawyer. And as a result, there are many things to consider. I'll give you a few examples of what is important. When somebody is injured, let's say in an automobile accident, or truck accident, even a boating accident on the water, one of the most important things to know is how serious is the injury? Is the injury initially serious where the person has gone to an emergency room, has been admitted to the hospital, has gotten treatment, has been operated on, but has recovered completely and does not have any ongoing continuing problems? That puts you into one category. The other category is if that happens, but you continue to have permanent injury, injury that physicians say is going to be with you for the rest of your life, and you're going to have to deal with it. That is probably one of the most important things that a jury is going to be looking to. Hmm. Is that person going to walk into that courtroom, look great, 100%, get on the witness stand, have no problems, get off, see them during the trial. They're not limited in any way. That perception by the jury that the person is okay 
and there's going to be testimony from the other side that the person is okay and does not have any per- any permanent injuries has a big influence on whether or not you should roll the dice and try the case or whether you should take a reasonable settlement offer. I've oh. talked about this before in terms of what uh, you know, my responsibility is as far as representing people. And that is to make sure that they fully understand the process. If you start from the beginning and you have a lawyer who is preparing your case for settlement and is going to talk to the insurance representative and is not going to leave the office uh, and is going to settle the case, you're guaranteed to go to trial unless you want to accept a minimal settlement. On the other hand, the way we approach it is we take the, if we take the case, our intention is we are going to prepare that case from the beginning to go to trial because you will enhance your chances of settlement and getting a settlement that is fair and reasonable. The final decision, Steve, is up to the client we will always give our recommendation and tell the client or clients what uh, our recommendation is. Let me give you a couple examples of things to to consider. Can I jump in and with a question where you're right here, sure. and we'll jump into um, into those considerations? What about those situations where somebody had an injury, they went through treatment, and they claim that they have neck pain? It just doesn't go away ever since that accident, whether it's true or not. I'm going to say that. How can that be proven? How can that be proven? Or does it need to be proven in court? Uh, It does need to be proven. And the words of the individual who's injured are a part of it, but it's going to have a part that is medical, that a doctor where doctors are going to come in and say, I have examined Mrs. Jones. She has an injury which is permanent and will be permanent and will continue to require treatment for the rest of her life. As opposed to the plaintiff says, no, I have problems. I continue to have problems. Well, have you been back to the doctor? No. Have you gotten any therapy? No. How is that going to go over? Like a lead balloon. (laughs) It's not going to be believed. So you've got to back it up. And if it's there, it's there. If it's not there, it's not there. And I'm just curious, what are the, what are the challenges in settling the case? Uh, Or let's say you go to trial. Do you have something to lose? Um, Could it just all fall apart and you get nothing and, and whereby you should have settled the case? Yeah, well, that is absolutely true. And and we've talked a little bit about this in the past. There are defenses that can be raised uh, that can limit or absolutely deny a person the right to recover. If, for example, they're contributorily negligent. If one party is at fault, the other driver is at fault, but the person who is making the claim is even partially at fault, depending upon where they are and what state they're in, it will either reduce or eliminate their right to recovery. I'll tell you another scenario that happens occasionally, and I've seen it, uh, unfortunately. Someone has an injury and has a legitimate injury, 
but unfortunately, they exaggerate their injury. And what do I mean by that? Well, they go to see their doctor, and lo and behold, unbeknownst to them, there's surveillance film being done of them. They don't know it. It's very, very surreptitious. And it shows the person walking into the doctor's office on with a cane, limping in, and then leaving the doctor's office with a cane, leaping, you know, getting into their car, driving home, and then the surveillance continues at home. They get out of the car. They don't have a cane. They're jumping up the steps. There's no problem. When you bring up those credibility issues, you are looking at a big problem. And unfortunately, it happens where the person is alleging that they've been hurt very badly when, in fact, they're not. I actually had a case which went to trial and the person said that they were permanently disabled. They couldn't do anything. He was up on the roof <laughs> um, working on his roof and the shingles on his roof. Climbing up the ladder, down the ladder, I can tell you it didn't go well. And you just never know. And I always advise people, uh, look, if you're injured, you're injured. If you're not, don't exaggerate it because you can be followed. You can be followed at any time. One of the other things, Steve, that I think is important for people to know when they bring a claim where they have been uh, deprived of the ability to work. They've lost time from work in the past. They are likely to lose time from work in the future because of their injuries. They were in the hospital for a long time. They got physical therapy. They couldn't perform their job. And they make a claim legitimately for their lost wages, which is a reasonable request to make. If the case goes to trial, and they get a verdict for lost wages, or if they settled the case and an element of their claim is lost wages, they are not taxable, state or federal. The Internal Revenue Service has made a ruling that the proceeds of a personal injury or a wrongful death case for lost wages are not taxable. And that's a big thing for people to know and to consider. Uh, and it has an effect on the decision a lot of times for a person to settle a case as opposed to go to trial, unless it happens to be a really good case and you can take it to trial and get a whopping verdict. And that's where, you know, it's a judgment call, but the call is made by the client after they hear what we recommend they should or shouldn't do. Paul, what if somebody gets a sizable award, doesn't have anything to do with lost wages? Is that taxable? Yeah. Uh, the award for pain and suffering, for example, for disfigurement, um, for future medical care, same thing, not taxable. It's the proceeds of a personal injury case, not taxable. Now, there are some cases where there is a taxable event, and that relates to a case that may involve 
employment discrimination or may involve what is called punitive damages. When you go to a trial and you recover damages for lost wages, for pain and suffering, for disfigurement, future loss, that's one thing. But if, for example, the conduct of the person that causes the injury is done with intent and with malice and with evil motive, you, that person can be liable for punitive damages, which are used to punish the person and not exactly reimburse them. For example, and we unfortunately have seen a lot of these cases over time, and I'm sure the people who are listening know about these, in sexual abuse cases, punitive damages can be awarded. And I've tried a couple of those cases where there have been awards of punitive damages. And as you know, there are a whole bunch of cases going on across the country um, involving sexual abuse uh, that are pending now where that will definitely become an issue. And if there is a judgment and a judgment specifies punitive damages, that punitive damage aspect of the case would be taxable. Hmm. But um, every state has its own rules and regulations and laws about what you have to prove, but it's basically intent, malice, evil motive, which results in punitive damages. What about some of those cases that involve chemicals like Roundup or somebody involved in 9-11 that has proven lasting medical effects, disease, cancer, things like that? What category would that come under? That would be compensatory damages. Um, And those cases, there was just a very big verdict uh, in Philadelphia dealing with uh, Roundup, um, which is very, very large uh, exposure to chemicals, which caused cancer, which caused problems like that. And that can happen. I don't know the deep understanding of that, but I have to, I have to personally say this stuff is still being sold. I don't understand. (laughs) That's right. And until Congress or the state acts not to permit it to be sold, you know, it's going to be out there, but you know, there's also times when, Punitive damages can be awarded in a automobile or a truck case. For example, uh, if somebody were uh, on drugs mm. uh, or uh, drunk, um, that can give rise to punitive damages. Talking on the telephone with your girlfriend um, or whoever, and you're not paying attention, can be deemed to be an intentional act, which could give rise to punitive damages. And depending upon the state, uh, it may be permissible. And it is unique. It is not in every case, but it's out there. Can you give an example of a situation where somebody may gravitate toward settling the case as opposed to going to a trial? Yeah. And Steve, that happens a lot. You know, going to a trial is is difficult because you end up reliving what you went through. And a lot of people are just not comfortable in going into a courtroom, which is open to the public 
and having to relive that, that whole problem all over again. We're a death in the family. So what do you do? Well, what happens in a lot of those cases, and really in most cases before they go to trial, are a couple of different events. One may be a settlement conference, which would take place with a court officer before the case goes to trial to try to mediate the case. Or the parties would hire a private mediator, select the person jointly, and that person would act as a person who would attempt to settle the case by meeting with both parties, not sitting around holding hands, singing kumbaya, but separate rooms, going from room to room, taking all the temperature down in terms of what the person is going to be exposed to. And what's happened in the last 15 or 20 years, Steve, is that there have been more and more cases that have this alternative dispute resolution result without having to go into a courtroom. And there are people that I would advise to say, look, you don't want to do that. Why don't we try mediation or even arbitration where the parties agree to have a person be the judge? You can do it by Zoom, just like we are doing this today, uh, where the, the person is a retired judge or a lawyer who does a lot of the meet, uh, arbitrations, and they make the decision after a couple of hours as opposed to a week or two weeks. Mm. And a lot of a lot of that has taken place all over the country. Arbitration. I know there, there's so many variables, but if you had a look at a situation or maybe one as an example, settle or go to trial in terms of the award, the compensation, do you stand to lose a lot if you settle the case? I know there's a lot involved in doing the trial, um, emotionally, physically, uh, even legally. Um, but, but you're, you're on that, you're on the cliff. Whether, should I jump off for the trial or should I take a step back for settle the case? So the real question, Steve, becomes what has been put on the table? Is the offer a reasonable offer? I've always taken the position that if someone is faced with a clear liability case and there are substantial damages, but the offer is minimal or not reasonable, I'm going to advise the person to go to trial. Those are the cases that juries recognize. Those are the ones which juries relate to. And I think the lawyer has got to be prepared to do that for the benefit of the client. There are no guarantees about winning. You can't do that. But I would always want to have their consent and tell the client the reasons why I think they would do better in court than they would if they settle the case for what it wasn't worth. How does the process work? Let's say you are representing a client. There was a situation, car accident, whatever it might be. Does the other party involved bring the offer to the table or do you say, this is what we're looking for or does it work? It could work either way. Okay. Good question. So what happens is once the person who is injured has reached a point which I'm going to call maximum medical improvement, which is where the doctors have said, look, we've done everything we can for you. 
And what you have, you're left with, is going to be with you for the rest of your life. Maybe better a little bit, maybe worse. And we prepare a detailed demand in writing Hmm. for settlement with the defendant, the insurance carrier, whoever it may be. And we set out the history, the treatment, reports, the economic aspect of it, the pain and suffering aspect of it, and make a what we consider to be a fair demand for settlement. And that starts the ball rolling, and that most of the time results in a resolution. Not necessarily for the exact amount that we've asked for, but they can see what the exposure is and in what categories. That happens in every case. Do you find many times you go back and forth? You say, yes. make the offer, they come back, you go back. Yes. Yeah. yes, yes, yes. I call it the minuet. Yeah. Sometimes it's baby steps, but sometimes you get to the end result much sooner in the very serious cases because insurance carriers are going to know who the lawyer is and is that person Is that lawyer a lawyer who sits in his office and settles cases, or is that a lawyer who goes out and tries them and is hitting big verdicts? That's known. We we talked in the past about a case involving a college student and her boyfriend who was charged with taking her life, and he was faced with, and I think he's still in jail, uh, an award that he has to come up with. What if you're not able to financially provide that? So here's what happens. Uh, And in that particular case where there was a $15 million verdict, $7.5 million to the mother and $7.5 million to the sister who was just like a carbon copy of her sister. Um, That award, $15 million, bears interest. And by the time... This gentleman is going to get out of jail. It isn't going to be 15 million. It's going to be 25 million. And we had a special question to submit to the jury, which if answered in the affirmative, would preclude that person from claiming bankruptcy so he could discharge the debt. And they answered in the affirmative that it was done with malice. It was done with ill will. And as a result, it is not dischargeable in bankruptcy. So it may not be today, Steve, and it may not be tomorrow, but there will come a point in time when he will know that for the rest of his life, this will be on top of him for every cent he earns, for all the money he has, all the money he might inherit, and it will eventually be satisfied. Sure. And, you know, rightfully so in, in you know, this horrible situation, but Many of us will never see 25 million or even come close to it. Um, and I totally get you, you know, that could be floating out here where I know I got to pay, well, you know, I'm not going to work hard. I'm, I'm going hypothetical. I'm not, I'm why should I work hard? It's, it's different in a, um, uh, child support case. They just garnish <laughs> you're paying no matter what. Does that similar thing happen in cases like this where they're going after it no matter what? It does. But if they want to have a life. Okay, Uh, how are they going to support themselves? 
And what happens a lot of times in these circumstances is that uh, the family of the person uh, will come in and assist. You know, it may not be that much amount of money, but it may be a significant amount of money. But if you have a car, uh, if you have a truck, uh, if you have a house, if you have uh, a condo, all attachable, everything that you own. So do you want to go through your life where you don't know anything? Because this will follow you for the rest of your life. So it is garnishable, if you will. Absolutely. Okay. Everything. That's where I was going with that. Because in, you know, in the child support situation, uh, in many states, as I understand it, even if you have a downward modification and you say, I, 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 the job change, I can't, I can't afford it. Many times the judge will say, well, get a third job, do whatever you got to do. You got to pay. That's right. So exactly. You can't sit home you can't sit and home. not satisfy the support. Wow. Glad we talked today. You, uh, dispelled a lot of myths when it comes to cases like this. And I have to tell you, Paul, with clarity, you are so specific and clear like I've never heard. Not even just a lawyer, <laughs> just in general, which is amazing. Uh, well, and, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. I truly mean it. If somebody wants to to reach out to you, your firm, how do they do that, Paul? So it's Beckman, no C in the name, B-E-K-M-A-N, at MD. That starts not for doctor, but <laughs> Maryland, MD trialfirm.com or you can google my name paul beckman you'll find me i wish many doctors were as clear as you (laughs) (laughs) me too yeah uh great having you on here really appreciate it and look forward next time we get together thanks steve have a great day you too we'll be right back broadcasting from the business capital of the world this is the podcast business news network Adopt US Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she, she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C, take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. It's now a good time? No. Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D, help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council.